And so when people ask, can people really change? Can people really grow? Absolutely. But not everybody does because not everybody is willing to do the work. And the truth yeah. is that this isn't sexy, right, Maria? This isn't sexy. It takes work. Yeah. That's the truth. It takes work. And yeah, definitely. And it takes courage, as you said, and humility. And I think, and I don't, I know from my own perspective of working with leaders, for example, and helping, trying to help them grow as a leader, it takes the same elements. It takes the courage to look at yourself. It takes the humility to look at yourself, to grow, to change maybe what you've been doing or examining what you've been doing and how maybe that's getting in your way. If you're a CEO, entrepreneur, or business owner that can't seem to figure out what is blocking you from attaining the next level of growth in your business, then listen up. I'm Maria DeLorenzis Reyes. I've taken what I've learned in 30 years working inside multi-million dollar corporations, building my own business, and consulting my clients, and discovered five themes that stop a business from scaling. I've created a tool to help you get the answers you need to get unstuck and unlock the next level of growth. Head over to scale.mariadr.com and click the link to get your custom Scale Factor Formula scorecard when this episode is over. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Finding the Upside. I'm so happy you chose to join me today. I am in the studio and have a very special guest, Mandy King. Hey, Mandy. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, Maria. Hi, everyone. So excited to have you here. So before we get started, I just wanted to briefly introduce Mandy, and then I'm going to turn it over to her for her to share a little bit more of her journey and her background. But Mandy is a personal empowerment coach, and Mandy uses a lot of personality assessments to help understand and help her clients understand themselves. And I'm going to talk to her and ask her a little bit more about how she uses those tools. But Mandy has been coaching for 23 years and has an amazing journey and experience with lots of different types of people. You've been able to work with people of all ages, all backgrounds, many business types. Mandy, could you share a little bit more about your journey and what you do and a little bit about that for us? Thank you, Maria. It's an honor to be here. I just, I love and adore you. I have so much respect Thank for you. you. And I love the name of this show because it's, we, we all need to look at the upside of things. Yeah. But, so yeah, I've had the privilege and honor. I feel very blessed. I know not everybody gets to experience finding their calling and their passion at a, at a young age. I always like to acknowledge and thank my mama. I grew up in, no. in a household. You know, some people grew up in a really religious household. I didn't grow up religious. I grew up where self-help was like our religion. <laughs> and my mom was a huge self-help junkie. And she bought me a, a ticket to a Tony Robbins seminar when I was 18 years old. And I became hooked and traveled around the world with Tony and became a coach at, at the prime age of 21. I remember seeing an Instagram meme that said, I wish I had the confidence of a 25-year-old life coach. <laughs> I was a... I was a life coach at 21, which now looking back on it is really funny because I didn't really have the, the life skill to be a coach, but I'm so grateful for my journey. I'm so grateful for that experience. And I've gone through a lot. I've had to earn a lot mm -hmm. of what I was taught 23 years ago in coaching and working with people. And it's my passion to help other coaches not make the same mistakes that I've made 23 years ago. I feel like it's part of my moral obligation. And you mentioned personality assessments. I love personality assessments. I use them in my coaching. I love empowering my business owner clients to use them with hiring because, man, if we can help um, people find the right seat on the bus, it's like everybody's mm -hmm. happier. We get a shine. And this is the type of education and training that unfortunately isn't being taught in school. And so I really like helping people find their superpowers, find what they're natural at, find what they're great at. And personality assessments are a great tool for that. So yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to geek out with you today and to talk yeah. about that and to dive in. Yeah, thank you for that. And also like when I met you and heard DISC was one of the things that you were using 
I had the privilege in my corporate years to have an executive coach and that particular executive coach also did this. So I was exposed to that stuff early on. I'm talking before more than 20 years ago. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, I love these. I love this. And I, like many business owners and as a consultant, talk to my clients about using those to help find the right people, find the right matches, but even to help them understand themselves and their team better. Because if we can identify the strengths that our people have, then we can understand how to work together better, how to collaborate better, how to put the right people in the right seats and all of that. So I love that. Yes, it really, it just makes this path of being a human being, <laughs> the more clarity. Mm -hmm. I love my buddy Socrates and I look at assessments as just a really powerful tool in helping us uncover knowing more of who we are and why the heck we do certain things and how yeah. come some things are so easy for you, Maria? They're super easy for you to do, but they're so dang hard for me to do. And when you had your amazing Marvin help set this up, I can tell that there's he has strengths I know I don't have, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yep. how come that is? How come there are certain people that are really good at certain things and some of us struggle at others and taking the shame out of it and, and having us be able to laugh at ourselves and having compassion for each other. It's, that's my goal. That's what I love about these assessments. And that's what I love about this kind of conversation. Yeah. As you have told us, you've had the privilege of working with so many high-level business owners, pioneering business owners in some cases. And curious, what has journey been like and how has that shaped your approach in coaching or has, how has that shaped your own, your own experience as a coach? It's really interesting. I feel, I feel really blessed and grateful because I've, because I've been doing this for so long, like when you say 23 years, I'm like, that makes me sound old. Um, Starting when you're five. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I actually, I love my age. I'm 45 years old. I've been, I've been trying to be older most of my life. So I actually mm -hmm. like being 45 because I was always the rookie and I was always the young one. So I actually enjoy now that I'm finally an adult. I don't feel like it, Maria. I still feel like a little kid. But anyway, so I feel very blessed and grateful for my journey because I have worked with incredible business owners and great minds like like my friend Russell Brunson, who I've known for 15 years. And so I've got to see them transform over a decade. And the thing that I have found to be so awesome is witnessing and having a front row, row seat to growth and seeing how people transform. And not everybody changes. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, like you, you have those like relatives or those friends maybe from high school where it's like Groundhog's Day, where they're mm -hmm. talking about the same thing or they're complaining about the same thing. And I don't say that to sound judgmental or condescending mm -hmm. it's just they're stuck right yeah they're, they're yeah. stuck in the same soap opera it's like the mm -hmm. same the same saga and same then line. yeah and i feel for people who have that and so i feel very grateful to be in an industry where i've had a front row seat to these incredible like you said, these pioneering minds and these people who are really committed to growth and you've got to be courageous because it takes so much courage because it's scary. It's like constant unknowns. Okay, I'm going to go into another unknown. I'm going to go into another unknown. And it's been very inspiring and very thrilling because I get to see and witness how they've transformed. Like someone like Russell, like I've got to see mm -hmm. how he's how he, the man that he was 15 years ago is not the same man the same. that he is today. Yeah. And it's so awesome to witness that. And it's so awesome to see how that transformation takes place. And so when people ask, can people really change? Can people really grow? Absolutely. But not everybody does because not everybody is willing to do the work. And the truth yeah. is that this isn't sexy, right, Maria? This isn't mm. sexy. It takes work. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. It takes work. 
And yeah, definitely. And it takes courage, as you said, and humility. And I think, and I don't, I know from my own perspective of working with leaders, for example, and helping, trying to help them grow as a leader, it takes the same elements. It takes the courage to look at yourself. It takes the humility to look at yourself, to grow, to change maybe what you've been doing or examining what you've been doing and how maybe that's getting in your way. And I guess it's almost the same in terms of the work that you do with their own personal growth. Is that right? It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's exactly the same. And it, would you say that those are the two things of why people change? It's what, like, why do some people change and when people don't? You said do the work. I know it may be very layered, but what's like the switch that has to click for that to start? Oh, such a good question. Such a good, <laughs> I love that I get it. I love that I get a geek out with you. So it's, I would say, oh my gosh, this is where I want a whiteboard, but I would say it's two main things. One, it's first, it's a solid commitment to growth. Like it is mm. a vow and a commitment to growth. And not everybody has that. It's a commitment to growth mindset. It mm. is I am willing to do what the Imagine Dragon song. I love this song. Whatever it takes. Yes, whatever it takes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like that commitment to grow. So that's number one is, and it's never ending and it's, it's infinite. We're mm -hmm. never done. My mom used to say growing up, the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. Right. Oh, that's good. So it's, that's number one. The second thing, and this is why I talk about this so much is the second thing and this is what I see missing so much in our culture. And this is what's missing so much in coaching. And this is why, and this is what I teach my coaches, because this is what I see missing so much in the coaching culture. The second thing that is required, required, not like a nice thing, but required is compassion. Mm. Because the reason why compassion is required is I got to quote one of my mentors. His name is Age Almas. He says, Unless compassion, it's impossible to see the truth unless compassion is present. So what, is, what the heck does that mean? That sounds really beautiful, Mandy, but break it down. What the heck does that yeah. mean? So in order to grow, in order to grow, we need to see things about ourselves, like you said, right? We need to recognize, recognize things about ourselves. I'll give you a personal example. So for me, I've struggled with boundaries. One of the reasons why I've learned about my migraines is that they've been linked to my codependency issues, which is linked to me saying yes to things when I really want to say no. So what's that about? What was the hard truth that Mandy had to realize that the painful truth, Gloria Steinem said, the truth shall set you free, but force is going to piss you off. So, we so first, so the truth that I had to realize is that the reason why I struggled so much with boundaries and the reason why I was having such a hard time saying no to the people in my life was because I didn't believe that I was worthy of love. I didn't believe I was worthy of setting those boundaries. Oh, ouch. Mm. That's an ugly, that's not comfortable. That's sticky. That's yucky. That's like the hot lava you don't want to experience. But I had to, I had to face that. Now, how did I face that? How did I let myself feel that and recognize that was because I had compassion for that Mandy. Oh, no wonder. Of course you thought that because look at your childhood. Look at how you were raised. Oh, no wonder I was able to have compassion passion for myself. So because I was able to have compassion for myself, I was able to see that ugly, painful truth. So we all have these like ugly, icky, yucky, painful truths that we don't want to look at, that we, we drink alcohol, we smoke weed, we play yeah. video games. We like, I have zero judgment. Like we numb, we escape. We have the best culture for distraction, right? Yeah. We do mm -hmm. everything not to feel the pain yet. Yeah. The pain is actually our friend. The pain is actually the key to our liberation. The pain is like, oh my gosh, if we could let ourselves feel, if we could let ourselves cry and get pissed off, the other side is glory. The other side is liberation. The other side is like amazing. But 
the reason why so many of us can't go through the pain is because we lack compassion. We lack compassion for ourselves. Like compassion is like the epidural. It's oh, once we have the compassion, okay, I can have this baby. Oh, I can see this truth. Oh, I can go through this. And so if we're able to offer compassion for each other, if we're able to offer compassion for ourselves, and then it's, okay, this is a really painful truth, but I can, oh, I can go through it now. Does that make sense? Totally. And what's so interesting as you were sharing that is that I think a lot of people, I was just reflecting, obviously I've been exposed to this and understanding this myself, and we've had conversations about this, but the self-compassion is such a, I think, it's like another step in compassion because some people, not all people, but some people can get, okay, I can have compassion for others. I think in our society, there's a lot of people that don't have that gene at all or whatever is happening that they're able to get there. But people can get to the, combat. oh, I have compassion for this person, but self-compassion, it's really being able to remove that beating yourself up, right? It's being able to remove that judgment on yourself and that's next level compassion. And a lot of people can't get to that place. How, and I obviously, I know it takes work, but how do you help people get to that next step? Oh, such a good question. And it's really simple. It's really, I love that you say that because you're so right. It really is. I think in a way it's beautiful if you look at it that I, I know for myself, it's so much easier for me to have compassion for you, Maria. It's mm -hmm. a lot harder for me to have compassion for Mandy. Like I can yeah. kick Mandy's butt. Yeah. I would mm -hmm. never do that to you. And so it is part of our healing and our work. So it's very, I share with my clients and my friends, it's so normal that it, that's harder. Part of, part of having more self-compassion a very simple way, and this is something that I'm just, I love and I'm so passionate about, is to tell your story. This is why support groups are very healing. So Brene Brown, my future, my future bestie, Brene Brown, just going to put yeah, it out. Me too. <laughs> Maria, yeah. let's hang out with Brene Brown. Yeah. So Brene Brown, she says that shame needs three ingredients to live. It needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. So if we want to have compassions, we need to start talking about it. So if, if you look at 12-step programs or you look at support groups and you look at how are they been effective? They've been effective because people are sharing their story. So if you have an area of your life that you lack compassion in, I guarantee you it's because you're not talking about it. You're not sharing the story. If you got into a support group or if you got a coach or a therapist if you, or if you shared with a trusted friend, hey, I've been going through this, that shame would be lifted. If you were like, God, I'm so embarrassed. I filed bankruptcy. I'm so embarrassed. I'm considering divorce. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how to handle this with my child. You don't know how many, I don't have children of my own, but you don't know how many parents yeah. I coach where they have so much shame around parenting their children. I'm like, yo, there's a reason why I didn't have any. That's hard. It's hard. And I don't know any parent that doesn't struggle, especially now. And I'm like, you guys should all get together and just share, hey, this is really hard. So part of the self-compassion, it really comes from sharing your story with other people who are safe and other people who can validate your pain and validate and hear you and see you and understand you. And that's part of the medicine. That's part of, okay, now I'm going to start being kind to myself. The worst place you can stay is like in between your ears by yourself. That's why isolation is so dangerous. Yeah. That's why solitary confinement in prisons is one of the worst things you can do psychologically to mm -hmm. us human beings. Mm -hmm. Because we're not involved enough. Unless you're an enlightened master, right? Hashtag goals. Unless mm -hmm. you're an enlightened master, maybe the Dalai Lama would be okay in yeah. solitary confinement. But you yeah. put any of us in solitary confinement, that's no bueno. Yeah. Wow. That's just, as you were explaining that and as you were sharing that, I've, I've seen so many places where there's this gap for this psychological safe spaces. And even like in workplaces now, they're talking about that. God, Having these psychological safe spaces for people to be able to open up and remove the shame and guilt, even about things like, 
I'm dyslexic or whatever in the workplace or whatever the, the situation is. But what's coming to me is it's so simple in so many different places that it's like the, the cure and the medicine is exactly the same in all these things that are happening in our society with everything. It's if we could only have that compassion in all places, if we could only provide that safe space for people to be able to tell their story without the shame, because it's almost not having the safe space is why people put up that wall, why people put up that. I don't want anybody to know. Exactly. And I, it just, it, that just came so clear to me, which sounds so stupid because it's so simple, but we have such a hard time doing that. The truth is simple. The truth is simple. Yeah. You think of um, Leonardo da Vinci. Do you know that still today, Leonardo da Vinci has the most famous artwork like of all time? There's no competition of the Mona Lisa. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's like, it's no contest. And Leonardo yeah. da Vinci said, the ultimate sophistication lies in simplicity. The truth is always simple. Yeah. Our, it's our egoic minds that always try to complicate complicate things. That's why like when I teach coaches, so I've got my own framework that I teach coaches. It's called the strawberry shift. I, I got a strawberry tattoo. You see it? Like it? I love it. I, it's, okay. called the, it's called the strawberry shift. And I called it the strawberry shift because strawberries symbolize, and this is going to sound like grandiose, but hear me out. Strawberries symbolize the zeal of God. Whoa. So oh, what does yeah. that mean? It means enthusiasm for love. So what does that mean? Enthusiasm for love. The reason why so many of us are in pain is because we forgot how to love each other. It's so simple, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the coaching industry got so complicated and everybody just got so stuck up here. And I mm -hmm. realized, Maria, what's the big difference between what I do and what so many other coaches do? I love my clients with enthusiasm. That's it. Yeah. Like I'm not afraid to love them with enthusiasm. Yeah. So many people were afraid to love. And part of that wall, like you talked about, part of the reason why people are so terrified is because of trauma. Yeah. It's because it's a survival response. And so this is why it's so important. And this is why one of the kindest things and one of the most bravest things and one of the most courageous things we can do is to heal ourselves. So when we set ourselves free, we're giving each other permission and we can help each other. And so that's why you and I working on ourselves, like it's not just for Maria. It's not just for Mandy. Like we're like the ripple. We don't even know yes. the ripple effect yeah. that we're making by setting ourselves free and taking care of ourselves. Like I know when I have my therapy session with my therapist and I'm healing Mandy, I know that's impacting my nieces and nephews and my clients and everyone else and the mailman and everybody I'm waving to and everyone I'm like, because that's the ripple effect, ripple right? Effect, yeah. And so the reason why this is so hard is because of that trauma. And so it's so important to understand that, that we can't force this, that what's important is to focus back on ourselves and to be able to do the work ourselves and not get distracted with trying to save the world. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that's a really, that's a really good thing to keep in mind and keep yourself centered and grounded because I think it can be very overwhelming. I know I can get that way from time to, to from time to time, and people can get that way with everything happening happening in our world, in our society. Oh my God, it's just too much. But if you think about working on yourself, that impact has that's what you can do right there's so many things that are out of our control like we can't change everyone but if we change ourselves and we work on ourselves and grow that has that in that could be the catalyst for someone else you ever see that commercial god it was a while ago but it was like just one act of kindness and it's like somebody witnesses it and then they watch that and then they go and do an act of kindness and then they go and do an act of kindness and it shows this small gesture how it can grow i i think that that's a really good thing to keep in mind because otherwise it feels like sometimes that what can I do? What impact can I have? That can have a huge impact. We just have to remember it and do it. 
Exactly. I love that. I love that. I had a uh, a mentor of mine say, instead of survival of the fittest, now it's really about the survival of the kindest. Kindest. Love yeah. it. I have a question for you as you were talking about trauma. And, and this is just my thought and observation. I feel like we are at a place where we're starting to hear more. More and more people are starting to understand what trauma is, understand the impact it can have by not dealing with it or dealing with it. And I'm curious if you believe that also to be true. And if you have hope, because that makes me hopeful, that we could educate more and more people to be able to do the work and change. What are your thoughts on that? I, yeah, I am so glad that we're, that the word is at least getting talked about. I don't think that people still understand what it is. And I am grateful. I got to give a shout out. I always believe in giving credit where credit is due. One of my mentors, Dr. Gabor Mate, he is a world-renowned trauma expert. And he wrote a great book called The Myth of Normal. And he talks a lot about trauma. And what he says that trauma is that trauma isn't someone punching you. Trauma isn't the sexual abuse or the assault or even someone yelling at you. Trauma is the disconnect from your true self. Trauma is, he says, if you've ever said yes, when you wanted to say no, that's trauma. If you ever had a gut instinct of, oh, I shouldn't do this, but you do it anyways, that's a sign of trauma. And so we all have, I say that we all have, we're all on the spectrum. There's people Mm. who think, I've had clients with, I don't have any trauma. And I'm like, are you a human being on planet Earth? (laughs) Like we're not in the Garden of Eden. We all have a certain level of trauma. And so it's about becoming aware of it. And one of my favorite quotes is, awareness is the only tool required for authentic transformation. The only tool. Once we become aware, the light bulb comes on. You can't unring the bell. You are forever transformed. It's, you don't have to do anything about it. You become aware. And then you become, like I know for myself, when I became aware of some of my trauma from my childhood, when I become triggered, because what is a trigger is an upset from our past. I became, oh, that's little Mandy. Okay, now I can be responsible. What's, what's think of that word, responsibility. It's my ability to respond. I have more of an ability to respond because I understand my trauma. I have more of my antennas up. I understand my triggers. I understand. I still feel it. I'm still human. I still cry. I still curse. I still feel anger. At the same time, though, I don't, I'm much better now at not sending the text right away or not someone right away. Right. And so it's, the ability to respond. So yeah, I love that. I love that we're recognizing that trauma is a real thing. My hope and intention is that we recognize what really is trauma and what do we need to do about it? And what I believe we need to do about it is we need to provide a safe place for us to, to be ourselves. We need to provide it. We need to know how to connect with each other. Like we're so we're really, it's so weird that we're so advanced with technology and now like AI and everything. Like we're like super, super sonic intelligent with all of this technology and advanced with that, but we're remedial when it comes to emotional intelligence and communication and relationships. Like we've gone like backwards. And so my hope and intention is that we can learn how to communicate again. We can learn how to connect. I don't, I agree with you that I think, and and I believe me, I've questioned myself on this. Is it that there's more information about it? Are we getting educated or is it just that I'm in space where I'm hearing that? But I do think, I think the conversations are happening, but I would agree that a lot of people still think, oh, I wasn't sexually abused. I wasn't, there was no domestic violence in my house. Was it? It can be something completely different. And that's the misunderstanding, I think, and the misconception. I actually had another guest on a few weeks ago, and she's a neurodiversity coach. But she was talking about trauma and the aspect 
of something as simple as a request can be received. It's like in a family was the scenario she was given. In a, a family can be received so differently because of trauma, it's these triggers. So somebody could ask one person to say, would you open, would you empty the dishwasher? Would you empty the dishwasher? Okay, sure, no problem. And another really, why are you telling me what to do? And it's, wait a minute, we're, we're two worlds. And it's because each person has a different ground and, and, and experience, and there must be some trauma that's triggering response that's not warranted, right? Like from the outside world, that's not warranted. But it's a trigger. And I think, I don't know if you said it to me, but it's every, or somebody else, but every trigger is like a data point and information to something to be addressed. Understand it, right? Yes. Yeah, I love Dr. Mate says like, so many people are focused on triggers and a lot of people are like, you triggered me or that was triggering. And a lot of people are, they're talking about triggers, which is good. It's good that we're talking about triggers. It's good to let people know if you're triggered. But what's happening a lot in our cultures, people are stopping at triggers. You triggered me or I'm triggering. Wait a minute. That's not where the magic is. Yeah. <laughs> the magic, that's not where the healing is. And Dr. Mate, Dr. Mate talks about like, the metaphor of triggers, like on a gun, like the trigger is a really small part of it. It's a small, mm-hmm. like the trigger is a small part. That's not where the power is. That's mm-hmm. not where the trigger is just an indication of where the wound is. So it's That's like trigger. So it's, oh, this is where. So when I get triggered and one of my clients is like what we've talked about in our work together, my clients get triggered. And they judge it like, oh, this is so silly. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I don't care what the trigger is. It's an indication of the big wound underneath. And that's what we want to work on. That's because it's not going to go away. And so it doesn't matter if it's your spouse or your children or your boss or your coworker. If someone's pissing you off, they are your greatest teacher. They are the ones going, hey, you got this wound that you need to heal. Now, it doesn't feel good. And trust me, again, I'm human and I don't like being triggered. I don't think, I think that would be weird to say I enjoy being triggered. <laughs> like, enjoy healing my wounds because that decreases my triggers. Yeah. Yeah. It almost neutralizes them, right? So yeah. they charge anymore they, they, exactly yeah. i agree so i have a question to you about in in knowing you and you talk a lot about intuition right and trusting your intuition and using that. and i know that's your mission right to empower people to stop giving their power away trust their intuition trust their knowing them how do you believe intuition is a valuable asset and how do you suggest we cultivate that or how do you guide people to cultivate that in themselves what's really interesting have you heard of rick rubin do you know who rick rubin is yes yeah the famous music producer he wrote a really great book i forget actually what it's called it's his latest book on creativity and he does a way better job explaining about nature and intuition and one of the reasons why, for the, for your listeners who don't know who Rick Rubin is, he's one of the most popular, well-known music producers of our time. Like he helped produce from Lady Gaga to Johnny Cash yeah. to Red Hot Chili yeah. Clippers. Mm-hmm. And he's got this amazing music studio in Malibu called Shangri-La. And he does this very like eccentric experience he does with the with musicians where he like Shangri-La is all white and he has he has these cleaners come in and clean it and make it be super pristine and there's no there's no there's no like art or no noise on the wall there's no distractions and it's like up nature and anyways he talks about how important it is to be out in nature and how it's one of the best ways to get back in alignment and back in touch with our intuition And he credits to like, people are wondering like, how does he help these musicians come up with these hit songs? And so when I work with entrepreneurs who are trying to like 
force all these ideas that are going to be viral or I've got to make a million dollars. I want to do And they're trying to hurry and they're trying to force. And it's so interesting because the people that I work with, like it, the medicine, if you will, the advice I usually give, they don't like because it's counterintuitive. It's usually needing to slow down. I, when I bring my buddy Einstein into the conversation, people mm-hmm. usually take a listen. <laughs> As I say, mm-hmm. I go, do you think it's interesting? One of the greatest minds of our time said that intuition is the most powerful tool. And it's like, how do we connect with our intuition? One of the reasons why we're so disconnected from our intuition is because we're disconnected from nature. If you think about it, before the industrial revolution, we relied on our gut instinct. And if you think about it, think about music and art and writing. Like we were really good at it. We were like the best music, the best art, the best writing. It was before the industrial revolution. We were all, we were connected, right? Now we're disconnected. So what do we need to do? This is why like, grounding and why now we're getting involved in like yoga and breath work and this is why it's so important because when we do align whatever is meant to be for you and whatever is your highest calling will not it'll be natural it's not it'll just come you don't have to willpower you don't have to force it and so that's what I do with my clients is I help them with their self-care and getting back in touch nature and getting back in touch with slowing down. And some of them do it kicking and screaming, but that's what creates the shift. Because once we align with that, man, and that's also when we have start having fun, because this yeah. whole Starbucks on every corner and we're drinking liquid crack in a can at the gas station, go, this, that culture, like it doesn't work. That's not how we get to greatness. That's not when we come up with the, brilliant ideas that leave a legacy yeah it's it's so interesting as you were sharing that i had a a mentor years ago and she was an older woman and she was totally like zen master yogi and i learned so much from her but anytime at that time i was not an entrepreneur i was working in the corporate world and i would talk about and what i wanted to comment on here is that our culture and that our, our, the business world is so counter to what you just described, right? And it's like, again, it's that hustle thing, but it's difficult when you're in that world to pull yourself out of that. I think it's more challenging because there's so much huddling of that way. And she used to say, when I would comment about how it was, and she, yeah, that's how that world is. And you signed up for that. And, and it wasn't in a nasty way she was saying it, but it was almost helping me understand that I had the choice to be in it or out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we all have to keep front and center because it can be so easy to get sucked into that go. Let me have my Starbucks. Let me drink my Prime. Let me do this. Let me go. I'm going to go. No sleep. We got to get this done. Like all of this. And there's many people, myself included, I've been in those pockets where it's like, when was the last time I just went outside and went for a walk in nature? Do we do that? Do we regularly do that? Even if you're an active person, are you experiencing nature? Are you putting your feet in the grass? Or are you just jogging for 10 miles in the city? That's not the same. I think that it's important to keep that in mind, that it can suck you in our culture can suck you in so easily and you really have to take that time and make that commitment to be able to immerse yourself in nature to be grounded to be connected to the earth all those things that help you align well and you bring up a really powerful point because one of the reasons why we get sucked in and you're absolutely right, is because of our human need as human beings to connect with one another. And so this is one of the reasons why I'm creating a community for coaches is because one of the things I learned from my mentor, Dr. Monte, is that we have two psychological human needs. We have the need for attachment. And this is like survival. Like we have to have the need. Many people are aware of the need for belonging 
they've done studies on babies, right? Like you can change the baby's diaper, you can feed the baby, but if you don't hold, the baby Baby. will literally die, right? Like we have to attach. And so we will do crazy stuff. I was almost going to cuss on your show. (laughs) It's okay. It's been done before. Okay. We we will do crazy stuff as human beings to attach because we will we have to survive that attachment relationship. So whoever's our caretaker, mother, father, whoever we perceive to be our caretaker. And then when we grow up, so our survival relationships, our spouse, our children, our coworkers, our boss, we will do whatever it takes to survive those attachment relationships, our closest friends. But what Dr. Monte says, we also have another human need, which is authenticity to thy mm-hmm. own self be true. And this is where it gets messy, right? Yeah. Because usually we sacrifice, and this is what I've experienced and what I think almost every single human being experiences on a certain degree, is we sacrifice our authenticity in order mm-hmm. to have the attachment relationship. And this is why I became such a really good people pleaser really good at it because I'm like, oh, look at all the love and attention and connection I got. Everybody loves Mandy. Yay. But then Mandy's getting these awful migraines. It's like crap. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. I'm crap. How do I fix this? Because everybody, I got all like, like all these attachment relationships, but yet my, I want to die because I'm going through all this physical pain because I'm not being true to myself. So now I'm starting to be true to myself and it's, uh-oh, I'm starting to piss people off. Uh-oh, I'm starting to lose these relationships. And so this is where it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. I'm not going to pour pink paint over it. But this is why we need support to grow. This is yeah. why this path of growth is not for the pain of heart. This is why yeah. it's not easy. And this is why I always encourage people like I of course I'm a coach. I believe in coaching. This is why I believe in having a coach, having a therapist, having a support group, having good friends. We need as much support because we live in a culture and we live on a planet that makes this growth of authenticity really hard. So you need to surround yourself, put yourself like in a bubble of people who are going to be like, yes, be yourself. Yes, you could do this. Yes, you got this. When you're transitioning, because it's going to be challenging if you're trying to do it alone. And that's the mistake, Maria, that I see and witness so many people make. Because like you said, I loved your words that you used, sucked in. Mm-hmm. And, and if people think they're going to try and do this alone, it ain't going to work. Because that psychological, that lizard brain of survival, you're going to get sucked right back in. If you think you're going to do it without a coach, without a therapist, without friends, without support, it's not going to work. It's definitely something to understand. And I think when people understand that, then they can say, okay, then I get why I need support. I get why I need someone. I need guidance. I need all that. But it's like understanding what you just described is such a critical step to be able to surrender to that, that you actually need to have people help you on that journey. And I think a lot of people do try to do it alone. They try to do it in private. It's not. And that's, that is where it's dangerous. And I think that's where most, and I think that's the mistake. And that's where I want to just scream from the rooftop that you're not meant to do this alone. And you know what penguins do when one of the penguins are sick? Do you know what they do? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. When a penguin is sick or even grieving, they're like one of the coolest animals. They will surround that penguin like in a circle. So if one of the penguins is sick or grieving, they will surround that penguin. And if that's what we need to be doing for each other, that's what we did. That's what like indigenous tribes do. That's what we used to do. Right now, like now, if someone's grieving, if someone has a lost one or someone's going through grief, we're like, oh, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's we're scared of that pain. We're scared because we're scared of it for ourselves. And it's part of it that I believe that what we're starving for is just that real human connection and that real and that 
that space just to be vulnerable, that space just to be real, that space just to say, I'm scared, that space to say, I'm pissed off, that space to say, I don't know what I'm doing, just to be able to be real and to be seen, heard, and understood. We all need it. Yeah. I think also, I loved your thoughts on this. I often am concerned where people can also be tricked into thinking that the connection is the connections they have through social media, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Not real true connection. And I don't want to pigeonhole the younger generation. Obviously, they are more, they are at higher risk probably because they were raised with this. It's such a part of their life. We've all been exposed and sucked in by that as well. And I'd love your thoughts. You ensure you're not thinking that you have a support group or you have something that can help you that is really just surface level social media, these online communities. Like how do how do you navigate that? And what are your thoughts about that? And what do people need to keep in mind? I think that honestly, I think social media can be a really wonderful tool. I think it, it, it can, it's neutral. It's like money. It's like money isn't evil and money isn't great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's neutral, right? It's social media isn't evil and it isn't positive. It's neutral. Social media has helped me a lot. Yes. And, and I've seen social media also cause a lot of damage. So it's, I would say it's really simple how you know that social media and how you know that it's actually working for you is how you feel. How are you emotionally mm-hmm. feeling? Like I mm-hmm. have a really good buddy. I've never, I've actually never met him. I actually met him in a community that I joined almost two years ago. He lives in Oregon and he's just, he's one of like my new best friends. And he's just like a beautiful soul. And he has heard me cry and like snot come out my nose, cry. And mm-hmm. he knows me, like he mm-hmm. knows me. And we've never met in person. We've met on Zooms. That is real. Like we have a connection, this other human being and I who've never met in person and we've talked on the phone and he has heard some of my pain that I've gone through where it's like those cries that the snot's coming out and you got and then you don't, they don't even understand what you're saying because you're going, that is when you know you found a real connection. That's when you know the social, that is, it has to go offline. If it's just serving you, it's, it's like the menu bar when you go to a restaurant where you got to order the food at the bar, but then Mm -hmm. you go to the table to eat it, right? Mm -hmm. Social media is like the bar where you go to order, right? You're looking for people to connect with. Yes. Then you go back to your life and you're connecting with them. If you haven't found anybody that you can like snuff cry with, then you haven't found the connection. That's how Maria, you got to find a snuff cry friend. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of it. I agree with you on that. That's the beauty. It's almost like social media can be the conduit to make the connection. You're free. You still get her words. Take it, take it off. And look at the beauty of that. You're able to connect with these people that don't live in the same place. They might not even live in the same country, right? But then taking it offline to be able to go off that platform and really make tight connection. And I would agree that there's people that could find people that they never would have found without it. So that's the beautiful part of it. But yeah, thinking of it as the conduit, Mm -hmm. right? I love that word. Thank you for that word conduit. Yes, exactly. It's social media and conduit for connection. We just have to learn how to use it. Yes. Agree. And I agree with you. It's not good or bad. It's because it can bring good. It's neutral. It can bring good. It can bring bad. But it's really being mindful of how you're using it and all of that. But one further point, and then I want to ask a little more about the understand.me. But I I wanted to comment. I was having a conversation with actually a therapist, and we were talking about just this space where where there were these young males, college age, high school, college and struggling with their own self-worth because of whether it was ADHD or dyslexia or learning differences or whatever it was. And she was like, it's, it would be so great if they could all find a support group to share their stories because so much of it, when they're in it, this young man she was talking about is, I'm the only one 
that has these things happening. I'm the only one that feels this way. And when you were talking earlier about sharing your story and having that self, that safe space to be able to say, this is what's happening for me. And even you mentioned the 12-step programs. You start to see that it's not just you. And that provides that safe space for you to be able to say, okay, I can address this now. I don't have to be shameful about it. So it's just another comment I was thinking as we were talking about that. Having that ability to have those support groups in all the spaces, all the safe spaces, is just like a mission. It's like a mission for all of us to provide that because there are so many gaps where that, that we don't have that. And I think that could be so helpful to so many people. Oh, it, it's medicine. It's medicine. Anybody listening, I guarantee you, whatever shame you have about yourself, I promise you, there is not just one other human being that has that same shame. There are thousands, if not maybe even millions. And if you can just connect and mm. share your story, like I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a twelve step support group for something that I had so much shame and so much self loathing about. And I saw all these other beautiful people that had the same problem that I had. And because I fell in love with them and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I love them. Oh, I don't want Sarah to beat herself up. And Sarah has the same problem I have. So guess what happens? I start loving Mandy because I don't want Sarah to beat yeah. herself up. And I get protective of Sarah. So I'm like, oh, and I see Frank and I'm like, hey, Frank, you watch it, buddy. I love you, <laughs> Frank, right? And so then I start, well, wait a minute. They have what I, if I'm going to put myself down, that means I'm putting them down. And so something very healing happened. So this is why people, and I know Hollywood makes fun of support groups and people poo them. And a mm -hmm. lot of marketers, frankly, in our like space, yes. shame them and condemn them. But really... I have to say, as a coach, this is like me saying as a coach, I have received way more help and transformation by being mm. in a support group that I pay three bucks a meeting. Yeah. It has mm. been very transformational. So there's something that does happen by the power of sharing your story. So I just encourage people, like, if it's extremely healing. So I definitely want to get into a little more about understand.me and understand.me, you, I want to know what led you to create, which is really a website specializing in these personal assessments. You have things like DISC and Enneagram and Strength Finder and Love Languages. And could you share a little bit about that, what led you to it? And maybe even a little bit about some of those assessments and why you love them so much or what they could provide. Oh, yes. First, I got to give credit to my buddy, Russell Brunson. It, this is his brainchild. He came up with the vision years ago. He's, Mandy, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And of course, he's so he's the visionary behind Understand.me. And because he was like, I want to put all of these assessments together because Russell and I would geek out on assessments together. And I took DISC 23 years ago. A man by the name of Robert Alderman taught me DISC and it changed my life. I always credit him because I wouldn't have been able to be a coach because I was 21. I knew nothing about life and, and no one would have taken me seriously as a coach had I not learned DISC. And I learned DISC and because I learned it so well, like I mastered DISC, I was able to build trust and rapport with my clients. I was able to understand my clients in a way that I would not have been able to understand them had I not had that assessment. And so that's mm -hmm. where I fell in love with assessments. And then fast forward years later, I got exposed to Myers-Briggs and I found, oh, isn't this interesting? This covers something different than DISC does. And then Strengths Finder. And I got exposed to that. I thought, oh my gosh, this is even, this is covering a different angle than Myers-Briggs and DISC isn't. And then Instagram. And so I mm. really love them all. People always ask me, Mandy, what's your favorite assessment? Your I'm like, favorite? like, like asking a parent, what's your, who's your favorite child? Favorite child. Right? Yes. yes. I really love them because they're like putting all the puzzle pieces together. And, and especially as a coach, I really like using them to help people see who they are, to see their greatness, as well as to see where they need to work 
and where they, where are some of their blind spots and where, and how to take care of themselves. This is understand.me is a great tool to help inspire you as well as to help, help educate you and help to raise your own self-awareness on how to take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul. Most of us, we don't even know, like I ask people, how do you recharge your batteries? You don't know how many clients, Maria, I've had where I've asked them, how do you recharge your batteries? And they're like, watch Netflix. Yeah. And I'm like, I love Netflix. I'm a big fan of Netflix, but that's not how you recharge your batteries. That's not how you recharge your soul. How do you recharge your soul? This is where we, we need to become aware. And so this is why I love this. And people are one of the, my favorite things about it is it usually relieves shame because usually what we're beating ourselves up about, like I'm not very detail oriented. I had a lot of shame about not being detail oriented. Yep. It sucked at admin work, any of that. And I used to think I was dumb because I wasn't good at those details. When I took these assessments, I realized, oh, no wonder I make such a great coach because all these assessments point to being so relational. Oh, no wonder I'm really good at this and I suck at that. It's liberating, right? Yeah, yeah it really is. To say, I'm going to give you props here. I had taken this so long ago, but when you did my disassessment and explained it to me at such a deep level, you are definitely the master. I'm I had such a deeper you. understanding of myself because you went so deep and it was like, it, it, and it really truly is. I could say for, and I've been exposed to all of them and even one that I've used called social styles. I don't know if you ever heard of that one, but I've used that in training. Yeah, that's an interesting one too. But, you know, it, all of them giving you the understanding of who you are. And I also think my experiences, I think are egotistical thinks, oh, oh, I'm that. I want to be this. We think one type is better than the other, right? I'm sure people react like that all the time. And then you get to that place where you're like, no, it's all good. It's just we all have a different niche. We all have a different quadrant. We all have a different strength. We all have a different place. And like you said, I could relate as well. I used to beat myself up about not being good at certain things. But it's okay because I have a strength that balances that and I just have to be in that suite and have that acceptance about it. Oh, I love that you I love that you bring that up. It's very common. It's very common and very natural for people to have strength envy or personality envy. Mm -hmm. Like you're a high dominant person. And I find that a lot of people in this subculture of especially like marketers and entrepreneurs, I'm a low dominant personality and a lot of people wish they were high dominant like you because a lot of the successful examples are very dominant personalities. And so yeah. there's so many people that they're like, oh, I, I should be like Maria. I need to be dominant. I need to be doing. And it's like, wait a minute. No, you have a different role. You're going to have a different a different approach. You have a different style. And I like to, I like to use animals because animals are fun mm -hmm. and animals keep us lighthearted. I like to use the the metaphor of a penguin in the desert. I'm like, are you going to, are you going to blame the penguin? Are you going to beat up the penguin that he can't hang out in the desert? Like he's meant to be in the Arctic. He's not meant to be in the right. desert. He's meant to be in the Arctic. Like we're all meant to, I, when I was in high pressured sales, I was getting migraines. I was so miserable and I was forcing myself to be a high dominant person. Now a high dominant person, I, and I worked with high dominant people in that sales job. They loved it. They crushed it. They were living the dream. It was so natural. It was so draining to me and I dreaded it. And I had knots in my stomach and I was popping Excedrin like Tic Tac. I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. And so it's, this is why I love these assessments is because they liberate us. Because Oh, just tell me like who I am so I can be, when we're in our right environment, we are good. We are happy. Mm -hmm. We are free. Yeah. yeah the, it, it's so interesting. And like I said, a lot of these assessments are similar, right? They all have their own different kind of take or different kind of description, but they're all similar in some ways. And social styles, that's one that I used in training a lot when I do team building and where it really focuses more on how you communicate. And so what's your social style? 
And similar to disc in some ways, because you have the expressive, it was very gesture oriented and happy and enthusiastic and gets excited and passionate. And then you have the analytical, it's got to have the data, right? And then you have the steady, which is again, very like disc, very almost the mediator a lot of times, right? And the neutral. And same thing would happen in the room with these people when they would assess, they had that envy, that type envy. And what I would do with them is have them sit side, try to sit side of their style to see if they could take on a different style. And it was so uncomfortable for them. But what it translated for them is to understand that being in your style is where your natural place is. But if you're communicating to someone from another style, you've got to have the compassion and understanding of what they're looking for. So if I'm communicating to an analytical and I'm going to be expressive and I'm not going to give them data, I'm not closing the deal or convincing them or I'm not my boss. I'm making the case. I'm not going to be able to do that. Where vice versa, if the analytical person is just boring, gives me the details to the expressive, it's not going to work. So that's what I think is so interesting, not only understanding yourself, but understanding how all these different types interact was always, it was such an animated exercise and experience for them. So I love any of that. And I think this is great that people can get that understanding. I have my whole team taking these, by the way. Oh, we need to do, we need to do a session, Maria, with your whole team. Let's do, because it's one of the best ways for your team to bond is to, Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to go over, because going over and having someone like myself read their, their understand.me profiles and like, I'm a geek at it. So I love geeking out about it. And yeah, it's very insightful. And then it helps each other go, oh, that's why Maria does this, or that's why... Mm -hmm. That's why Marvin does that. That's why yes. so and so is that way. And then yeah. you don't take things as personal. Exactly. Like, well, that's why they're that way. I love that. Yeah, I would love that. They would love that. It's definitely highly recommend all of that. And know thyself. Like I keep coming to me what you said earlier. Being able to have that deep understanding is so valuable. So I have one final question for you as we wrap up. I think that everyone being able to take steps to do the work and get to that place where they can grow all of that. I'm, and obviously there's probably a lot of people who are inspired by this conversation. And what would you recommend resources, recommendations for any of them who want to delve deeper into their own personal empowerment or self-development growth? What is, because there's a lot, there's so much out there. Like there's so many places to go. Obviously understand that me, that would be a great place to start. But what else or what other recommendations would you have for somebody who's that journey or wants to delve deeper? It's such a good question. I have a a favorite book. I'm, I just finished reading and I just, I can't shut up about it just because it, I think it's something, especially for all of us entrepreneurs and especially in our fast-paced culture, and it's the opposite of what so many people are sharing. And it's by one of my other future besties. His name's Richard Rudd, and he wrote a great book called The Art of Contemplation because I feel like it, and it's such a beautiful book. And he's a writer and he's also like a poet. And so the book is just so delicious. Like you read it and it's just, it's just really well written and it's a small book, but it, he talks about the value of pausing and the value of slowing down. And I feel the best gift that you can give yourself, especially in our just overstimulated, fast paced culture is to do that. Like I was just getting gassed the other day and I was contemplating something. I was contemplating about this trade. I'm going to be giving a coach training tonight. And I was contemplating an idea. And I was when you're like putting the puzzle pieces together for something and you get excited about it. And then this like loud, like guy comes on the screen at the gas pump and like totally interrupts my train of thinking. And I got annoyed because I was like, oh my gosh, I was just like about to put these puzzle pieces together. And it just reminded me of how hard it is in our culture to slow down and to contemplate and to pause and how 
we've got to be like rebels. We've got to be like, it, yes. it takes like a courageous, rebellious spirit to slow down and contemplate, to contemplate and pause because we live in a culture that is constantly vying for our attention and constantly wanting us to go. And so yeah. I would say, I would highly recommend this book. I've read so many books. It's one of my favorites. I would say, I feel just my heart says to start there. And yeah, mm -hmm. this has been fun, Maria. I'm bummed. It's, it flew by. So I know. Fast. We might have to do a part two. We'll see. Part two. <laughs> yeah. But what we will do is we'll put that book in the show notes and put also understand.me, if that's okay, in the show yes. notes as well. Absolutely. And this way you can find that and get access to that there. Mandy, thank you so much. I had a blast today. Thank you for joining me. So thank you everybody for listening or watching. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Finding the Upside. Thank you. All right. So I hope you loved this episode and found it valuable. Thanks for hanging out with me. And if you'd be so kind, if you know someone else that this will help, please share this episode with them. Just grab a link for this specific episode, text it to a friend or colleague so we can help more people like you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I will see you next time for more entrepreneurial goodness. Same time, same place on the Finding the Upside podcast.